0: From KCRW, this is Nocturne. I think there is no animal more emblematic of the night than the owl. Of course, they're nocturnal, but that's not the only reason. They're also ephemeral and mysterious, keeping their distance from us in tree branches and on posts, showing only glimpses of themselves before vanishing in a silent flap of wings. Their power and elusiveness are endlessly intriguing, and those giant, piercing eyes inspire both fear and awe. To connect with an owl, even in a small way, is a rare gift. In this episode, we have two stories about our relationship with these iconic nighttime creatures. The first is a short, atmospheric memory from Jeff Etman, creator of the KCRW podcast, Here Be Monsters. In the summer before Jeff started college, he was living at home in rural Washington state. He found himself biking home from a nighttime job painting an apartment building on top of a hill in the center of town. It was around 3 a.m. on a hot summer night.
1: I had this tiny little underpowered headlight on my bike, and I had a speedometer on my bike back then. And I would go down this hill and I would see how fast I could go before I got too scared. I feel like it was like 20 or 25 miles an hour before I always got too scared and I started pulling the brakes. And then I would wind through my hometown past the grocery store, past the laundromat, and um, past like the one or two blocks of downtown that we had and head out of town on the east end. You get into rural area real quick as soon as you leave town and so suddenly there were no street lights. I would then get on what we called the highway, two lanes with a a yellow line down the middle. That's where the sky just opens up. You see the slough of like the two hills and you're riding down the middle of that, down this like straight, flat, paved road. And then there's off to the right, there's just telephone pole, telephone pole, telephone pole, telephone pole, telephone pole, telephone pole and kind of goes off into the distance. It was hot. It was a dark night. I don't think the moon was out at all. No lights, just my bike light. It was just enough to kind of cast, like, you know how bike lights do that? There's, like, this kind of patterned areas of light and dark that bike lights cast. It's never, like, a perfect headlight, you know? Cars do the same thing. It's, like, kind of just this pattern that you get used to seeing. It's just enough to see, like, the road in front of me, and then the telephone poles as they passed, and then, like, a little bit of field on either side. I saw something. I thought I saw something on one of those telephone poles, but I wasn't sure. It made Twenty feet to my right, and it swooped up, and I I I, I looked up into the telephone pole, and I realized there was a barn owl. And I watched it, and it jumped off the telephone pole right as I was next to it, and it swooped down again next to me and was hovering, just you know, was gliding just inches above this field and it it was hunting it was hunting with my bike light it was watching the grass below because my bike light had that wide beam and it was able to use my bike light as kind of an artificial moon it was it was faster than me though so it swooped up to the next telephone pole and it waited for me again just sat there and then I approached again, you know, I was, I was going slower on my bike. I approached again, and it hopped off again. And we, we continued this dance where it would, it would swoop down and look for uh, mice and little things running through the field as I was going by, and then swoop up again and wait for me on the next telephone pole. So, so as it hopped off, like as this, as this owl would hop off and, and glide down, I would see how fast I could pedal to see if I could keep up with it this hunting owl and every single time you know it would beat me it would beat me to the next pole but it would wait for me it would wait it's just kind of there you know and it's like it's like using you for a second and you're like a part of this for a moment symbiotic relationship almost where like you give the owl something which is a light to hunt with for half a mile or a mile and it gives you this experience of rapture is the wrong word sublime is overused awe is overused too you know what I mean yeah it's a I can't think of any other word aside from kinship you know it's like you feel the kinship with this thing that like wanted your help for a second and it feels so nice to be needed for a moment by something that can't even talk to you and you can't talk to it but it needs you for a minute yeah so it can go and murder a mouse you know I'd never noticed it before but maybe it happened bunch of times before. I don't know. And I just never decided to look right at that single moment. But after that, I always looked for it. When I was biking home in the middle of the night, I would always look, I would always look for it.
0: More of Owls in the Night from Nocturne in a moment.
1: I'm Warren Alney. On To The Point, if America ever used its thousands of nuclear weapons, it would be suicidal. In a nuclear war, there could be no winners. Everybody is a loser. All of civilization
0: is at stake.
1: We've known that for 75 years, but our weapons of mass destruction are still on hair-trigger alert, and just one man, President Trump, has the power to push the button. Is it finally time to make the world safer? On our To The Point podcast.
0: You are listening to Nocturne, I'm Vanessa Lowe.
2: I am Trina Lindsay and I'm living in Grand Junction, Colorado.
0: You can be on a forested mountain 45 minutes from Trina's house, but where she lives is not abundant with wildlife.
2: I'm in just a downtown neighborhood, which is blocks and blocks of houses.
0: Trina knew there were owls nearby but she hadn't given them much thought.
2: I never really had any particular interest or relationship with them until I moved to this house and started sitting out on the patio in the evenings. And as it grew dark, I would hear owls. And for years, I would hear an owl almost every night. And, you know, it's dark by the time you hear them, so I never really saw them, and I didn't know what kind of owls they were. I mean, literally, it was years before I got a glimpse of one, and he was tiny. And so that totally piqued my interest, because I thought of owls as being big, you know, I was picturing great horned owls. And so then I started looking into it a little bit and realized that what I had living here, like somewhere really close to my house, was a western screech owl. And they're, they're little. They're so cute. They're like six and a half to eight inches tall. And, you know, they're just like little stubby guys. They just look like a miniature owl. I mean, like kind of looks like their head's a little bit too big for their body. They're just gray, speckly, tiny owls with great big yellow eyes. And they're adorable, but they're also ferocious. I mean, their eyes are fierce. Once you actually get a look at one, you're like, God, they're really cute, but their eyes are still very owl-like and fierce.
0: Once Trina realized that this screech owl was her neighbor, she wanted more.
2: Well, really, I just wanted to own an owl. (laughs) Well, I mean, seriously, providing habitat for them in a downtown area is pretty crucial because it's hard for creatures like that to survive where there are cars and domestic cats and raccoons and people and traffic. And I just wanted them to be close enough to my house that I could observe them more because I knew they were here but I was barely ever getting a glimpse and so if I provided some habitat, they would be closer to my house and I could observe them in the evenings.
0: The way to provide that habitat was to construct an owl box, which mimics the kind of tree hole that screech owls like to nest in. Trina found instructions on the internet and asked her brother to build her one for her birthday.
2: It's maybe about 10 inches by 10 inches and about 16 inches tall. And the hole is three inches in diameter. You hang it like 15 feet off the ground on a tree, and they want a clear flyway. And they don't want a bunch of branches near the hole because that provides access for predators. So you have to find a a nice spot like that.
0: Trina hung the owl box in the winter, well before breeding season. And then she waited
2: and it was one of those build it and they won't come it sat there with no action for 5 years and i still was hearing the owl he was you know still in the area but never went in the box that i noticed i did have a starling family that used it one year which was pff, to make the nest box set up for owls you fill it with fresh pine shavings and soon as the starling moved in she started spitting the pine shavings out the whole one beakful at a time and she removed all of the beautiful pine shavings and put a bunch of nasty candy bar wrappers and sticks <laughs> inside the nest box to make it the way she wanted it to be and she had a batch of babies in there but other than that there was absolutely no activity in the box for five years And then one winter, finally, the winter of 2014, suddenly we noticed an owl sitting in the box. And what you see is their little face in the hole. So they're inside the box gripping the inside wall with their talons, I guess, because I don't think they could be standing on the bottom because they're not that tall, Um, and just sitting with with his face in the hole. And he would appear in the hole, like, right around sunset, pretty much like clockwork.
0: Of course, owls are nocturnal, so this was the start of his day.
2: He would sit there for about half an hour and kind of doze. We called it having his coffee time. It would be... From the time between sunset and actual dark, which is half an hour, he would just sit there and open his eyes a little bit and look around at stuff and, and just kind of slowly wake up. And then as soon as it got to be full dark, he would take off and go hunting for the night.
0: After five years of a vacant box, Trina was overjoyed to have a resident owl.
2: <laughs> it was fabulous. God, it was so great. I mean, it had been years, and I was getting a little bit dejected. (laughs) We would watch him almost every evening if we were home, and the box is right across the street from my house, between the street and the sidewalk. And so we would park our camp chairs in the gutter and watch him for the evening if we were around. I mean, my yard was like a hunting ground for him and he really, he got very comfortable with us. He would fly over and land on a little arbor post that I have in my garden, which was about eight feet away from where we were sitting. And he would just sit there and look at us. And if he saw a moth down by our feet, he would dive down and grab it really close to us and then go back up to his little perch and eat it. This was his territory and he wasn't worried about us.
0: Since they were on familiar terms, the owl was given a name. His name is
2: Boyle, which is, uh, what is that called? A portmanteau of boy and owl.
0: Trina and her boyfriend began to schedule their evenings around Boyle's routine. They'd excitedly watch while he hunted for moths and cockroaches in the waning light.
2: We just bundle up in down coats and wool hats and We'd take hot cocoa and popcorn, and we collected a group every now and then. Neighbors would come by and, of course, want to know what the hell we were doing sitting in the gutter. And we would tell them, and then they'd stay and watch with us. And so there'd be six or eight people out there watching the owls. We would watch until we just couldn't see anything anymore.
0: Trina's owl box was pretty low-tech. There was no camera inside. So a lot of Boyle's behavior was a mystery. And the biggest mystery involved his romantic life.
2: We didn't know whether maybe he had a mate and a family somewhere else and we just couldn't find them. I mean, I definitely wandered the neighborhood looking and listening and didn't ever find another one. And so we didn't really know what to think. And we just, you know, hoped one of these years he'll find a girl and he'll bring her home. And that didn't happen for another two years. It was March, and we had been away for a weekend of camping, and came home like 9.30 at night on a Sunday night, and um, parked the truck right under the owl box, which, because he was so accustomed to us, that was not an issue. We knew he would that wouldn't bother him, and we started unloading our stuff. And very quickly, as we were unloading our stuff from the weekend, we heard beak clicking coming from the nest box and we knew that was a warning sound that birds make because we'd been to Australia and the magpies there do that. They fly at your head making this beak clicking which is supposed to scare you away. So we heard this coming from the nest box and we were like, why is Boyle clicking at us? He knows us. He's comfortable with us what's the deal? So we stopped what we were doing and backed off a little bit and just watched to try to figure out what, what was going on. And the owl in the box kept clicking at us. And then we heard another owl hooting in a tree nearby. And that was the first time we had heard two owls. And so as soon as we heard a second owl, we were, you know, Slowly, our brain was putting the pieces together. That is not Boyle in the box. Boyle is in the tree hooting, and this is a mate. And she doesn't know us, and she doesn't want us near the nest box, and that's why she's clicking her beak at us.
0: Trina didn't take offense at the beak clicking. Quite the contrary.
2: I had goosebumps. I mean, it was just so wonderful. So my brother, who built me the nest box, his name is Daryl, he wanted one of the owls to be named after him, and so we named her Daryl Hannah. So the male is Boyle, and the female is Daryl Hannah.
0: From that day on, Trina frequently heard Boyle and Daryl Hannah trading mating calls.
2: The regular hoot, the Western screech owl hoot, that people are pretty familiar with, is described as a bouncing ball rhythm. And they do a different call when they have found a mate. It's kind of like, I think it's discussing whether they want to hook up, is when they start making the the mating call. I've read that it's called an advertisement call, and it's a very fast-paced and higher-pitched call. And we hadn't heard that for the two years that Boyle lived in the box alone. And then that night, we started hearing him doing the the faster-paced kind of sound. There's not a whole lot of information available about screech owl behavior, um, but the little bit that I could find said that the male, when he finds a mate, will take her around to different nesting site options in an area, and he'll show her a few different nests, and then she chooses which one she wants to nest in.
0: Once the female owl decides on a nest, the male begins to bring her little gifts.
2: It was sort of like the beginning of the evening when it was just getting dark and it was time to go hunting. She would stick around and he would disappear and then he would come back a minute later with food and feed it to her on the tree branches near the nest. Then they would both go off together, presumably to go hunt. He would bring cockroaches and moths, what any boy brings a girl he's wooing. And when he brings her food, she makes this sound that sounds like gratitude. And you know, I'm totally anthropomorphizing when I say that, but it really, it, she just sounds like, oh, thank you. You know, I mean, she sounds like I would sound if I was super hungry and my man put food in my
0: mouth. Now that Boyle had found a lady friend to occupy the owl box, Trina reasoned it was only a matter of time until some baby owl showed up. Her nightly ritual took on an intensified fervor.
2: I mean, I pretty much scheduled my entire life around being home in the evening at dusk. <laughs> that was way more important than anything else. The binoculars were by the door. The camp chair was by the door. You know, all everything was ready to just grab and get out there at dusk. It was a pretty much a nightly ritual for a long, long time.
0: And with no camera in the box, the mystery and suspense were pretty irresistible.
2: Well, we had no idea what was going on inside the box. We just assumed that there would be eggs and that at some point we would start to hear babies and we would maybe start to see babies. And it was one of the, you know, you're watching in the evening... The visibility's getting poor, and we really, we started seeing what we wanted to see. We'd be like, I think I saw a baby head. And it was nothing. I mean, it was ridiculous. But then we finally did start hearing little chirps. And then after about three weeks, we finally, definitely saw little white fuzzy heads popping up into the hole, like they were maybe jumping up trying to look out but they they weren't able to climb up and actually sit with their heads in the hole yet but we could see little white fuzz balls popping up and and then again it's you know poor visibility you can't tell if you're seeing one or two and so you don't know how many babies there are and it was it was wonderful but I just desperately wanted to know exactly what was going on inside the box
0: Once it was clear that babies had arrived, Trina had a new concern.
2: As soon as baby birds start chirping, it's like a magnet and the domestic cats come from everywhere and literally sit on the ground below the box looking up because they hear the baby birds. And there's a ton of cats, I mean, probably in every neighborhood in the country, but it seemed like there were a ton in our neighborhood. And so they were just coming out of the woodwork and hanging out at the base of the tree. And then we have raccoons. They would run across the street at dusk. You know, that's when they're active as well. And then we also have a great horned owl in the neighborhood, which is awesome. But they eat screech owls, so that was of concern as well and we would chase off the raccoons and the cats but obviously you're not going to interfere with a great horned owl.
0: Luckily it didn't come to that. The babies stayed safe in the box.
2: At some point finally a baby an owlet got strong enough and big enough to actually climb up and sit with his head in the hole and he was no longer white, he was a gray, but super fuzzy, just this little gray puff. And um, he would sit in the hole and the parents by this time are out of the box. Both of them are hunting and bringing food and feeding the babies. But this one baby was always in the hole every time a delivery came in. And so we were like, God, is there only one Owlet? Because he is not ever leaving the hole. And so we thought, either there's only one baby, or maybe there are more in there, but they aren't getting any food. And they're probably starving to death because this one is hogging everything. But then, you know, we realized we're only watching for an hour, and who knows what's happening for the entire rest of the night.
0: One thing Trina did know was that Boyle was no longer sleeping in the box.
2: He stopped sleeping in the box as soon as the female moved in. He sleeps in a pine tree nearby. He sleeps in exactly the same spot every night.
0: Then, when the babies were about three weeks old, Daryl Hannah had apparently had enough of living with the kids in the box.
2: You could tell it was just mayhem in there, and they were literally bouncing off the walls. You could hear them flapping their wings. You could hear, like, beaks and heads hitting the walls. (laughs) There'd be clouds of dander and feathers coming out the hole. Like, it was not peaceful in there. And when that started happening, I noticed that the mother started sleeping in the pine tree with the male. She left the box and, you know, she's like, I'm out of here. She quit sleeping in there with them.
0: Trina and her boyfriend still didn't know how many owlets were in the box or what their condition was but they knew that it was getting to be time for the babies to venture out of the nest. It wasn't a smooth process.
2: On that night, the night that they fledged, the one that was sitting in the hole hopped up and kind of, he leaned out and he was really wobbly and losing his balance and he fell and was like dangling by one talon from the hole and flapping and thrashing against the box and and managed to Get his other talent his other foot, back up and crawl back in the hole, and turn back around and sit in the hole again. And he he did the same thing. He leaned way out and then he fell. Just, it was like, oh my god, it was so stressful. So he he's dangling and falling and and gets back in the hole a second time, does the same thing again, gets back in the hole a third time, leaning out, off balance, teetering, and then he. He jumps, he leaps out, and he, he's not exactly flying. He was kind of just losing altitude as he <laughs> flew across the street towards me and just cleared my head and totally crash landed into the tree that I was sitting next to. And then you could hear him just like flopping around in the tree, very clumsy. And as soon
0: as he left the box, another little head was in the hole. This second owlet did the exact same clumsy leap and crash landing. And then a third did the same. Finally, a fourth baby owl appeared in the hole.
2: And you could tell he was younger than the others. He was smaller and a lot fuzzier. And he sat there for a long time, like he was uncertain and contemplating. And he did this, he fell out, just like his siblings all did. He fell, dangled by his claws, and He lost grip and so he slid down the box and then slid down the tree and thumped on the ground and was just sitting on the ground. And he wasn't flying and he wasn't flapping his wings and then I was on super alert for cats and raccoons. It was very, very stressful. I was thinking, now I'm going to have to raise this owl and be its mother and (laughs) I'm not sure that's legal. So he he didn't fly, and you know the parents are up in the trees with the other babies, keeping track of them and tending to them, and they also are paying attention to the one on the ground. And they were doing a bunch of barking noises, and the parents may, were making noises that sounded worried. And um, he hopped across the grass and got onto a, an apricot tree and climbed up the trunk of the tree. He did not fly. He climbed the entire tree and got himself back in the nest box, and he ended up staying there for another night by himself and didn't fledge until the following night. And then he flew like a pro. He just took off and flew right into a tree where all his siblings were, and it was no big deal. Once the babies fledge, the parents keep them in the area for, I don't know, three weeks, a month, teaching them how to hunt and feeding them, you know, they're still, they're not self-sufficient yet. So in the evenings we would see all the babies staying together, they'd be in the trees very near the nest box, and the parents would tag team. So one parent would stay with the babies and one parent would leave and come back with food and feed the babies in the trees and we, we noticed that they started gradually moving a little further away from home base. And so we had to kind of lurk around the neighborhood figuring out where, where they had gone. And um, they really, really liked the utility lines over everybody's backyards because they could watch for moths and cockroaches and whatever else in people's backyards and dive down and snag whatever they were catching and take it back up to the utility line and eat it up there. So the whole family would be lined up on the utility lines, which was very helpful for counting them to see if everybody was still alive.
0: Owl parents stay with their fledglings for three to four weeks. During this time, Trina and her boyfriend found themselves following the owls all around the neighborhood.
2: Yeah, I go lurking around the neighborhood in the dark and... um, following them and, and you know, keeping a distance so I'm not disturbing them, but just watching and seeing where they go. And um, they just gradually, like, they would move a block away, and then the next week they would go two blocks away, and then the next week it would be three blocks, and then the next week I wouldn't be able to find them. So at one point, all of a sudden all the owls were gone, there was nobody there. You know, I would go out every evening looking, and after three or four evenings of nobody being there, I realized that the parents must have taken the babies away to go find their own territory, which is one of the things that I read about what they do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have, you know, guessed that. So both parents left with the babies, and they were gone for a few weeks, And so there was no sight or sound of owls for a few weeks. And then one parent showed up in the box a few weeks later and was in the area. And we would hear a single owl calling in the evenings and getting no answer. And we weren't sure if the female would come back. I was assuming it was the male that had come back because this is his territory. And we we just, we were not sure at all whether the female would leave with the babies and stay gone and he'd have to find a new mate or would she come back at some point. And she did. There was an evening when it was time for owls to wake up. We We heard him and saw him and then he did that faster paced mating call and he got an answer. So she had come back and found him. Oh, it was great. I mean, it was a big relief, and it was very sweet, and of course then I started plotting for the next year.
0: Trina made a major upgrade to the Owlbox for the following year, a video camera. And much to her delight, Boyle and Daryl Hannah set up house again, and this time she got to watch. It's an intimate thing to watch a family be created up close.
2: I'm definitely emotionally attached to them. I'm very, very protective of them. I mean, you know, I worry about them, I think about them. But they're not like pets, because I don't I don't have the delusion that I own them or that they love me or anything. It's just so wonderful to have this little bit of wild life happening in a downtown area right at my house and it's nice to know that I'm providing them with a safe habitat and somewhere where they can go through their little cycles that they go through with some protection. And it looks like they intend to mate together for as long as they both stay alive, which, you know, in the city their lifespan is not fabulous, but I I just, I hope that they will stay together and come back every year and have successful broods, because they are very sweet together.
0: You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Kent recently released a full album of music for Nocturne called Possum Music. Find it wherever you listen to great music or get more information at nocturnepodcast.org music. Nocturne is distributed by KCRW and also receives support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project, which is managed by Kristen Lepore. Thank you to Nick White. You can find a link to Trina's owl webcam with tons of incredibly cute and interesting footage of her owl family at our website in the show notes for this episode. That's nocturnepodcast.org. You can hear more from Jeff Edman in his thoughtful and intriguing podcast about the unknown, Here Be Monsters, from KCRW. Till next time, thanks for listening.